This is Hollywood Unfiltered, hosted by Dana Buckler and Brandon Lou here. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to this week's episode of Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio platform. My name is Dana Buckler. I'm Brandon Lou here. And we are as always, thrilled that you're taking the time to join us to listen to what we have to say. Uh, if you're new to the show, Brandon and I tend to break down what's happening in and around the the movie industry, the Hollywood uh, the Hollywood scene, if you will. And uh, we always like to kick things off with some headlines. So, Brandon, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it over to you. What's trending for you? What's on your radar right now? Thanks, Dana. I hope you had a great week. As always, we had some cool. We had some cool new releases this week. Not too much craziness in entertainment headlines this week. We do, however, we have an update on the trade union uh, Yahtzee story we've been covering. The leadership of the International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees is urging all of its members to vote yes on the proposed basic rights agreement between them and the Alliance of Motion Picture and TV Producers. The agreement is meant to offer improved working conditions and working hours on set, turnaround times between shoots, amongst several other grievances. And prior to this announcement, there were weeks of negotiations between the organizations that uh, eventually broke down, nearly led to a strike. The strike was then averted, and then this agreement put forth to be ratified. But we'll see what happens with the actual ratification of this agreement, Dana. There are still plenty of grumblings from the union members themselves who will ultimately have to get 75% vote, 75% yes vote to have have the deal go through. And according to IATSE, the voting is going to commence on November 12th with results to be announced November 15th. What's your take on this? Well, I appreciate you you updating me on this because let's be honest, this has kind of quieted down quite a bit. Like, you know, a few weeks ago, we are covering the story. This was, you know, we were dubbing it the, the end of Hollywood as we know it because the potential ramifications for IATSE going on strike, I don't even think people fully grasp like how serious that was. Now, you did answer a question for me, and that was what was the threshold for the vote to pass and 75% is a very high bar right now because we talked about the writer strike a few years ago that was authorized with just a little over 60% of the vote so and there are like you said there are a lot of people right now in this union and uh, who are not happy they're not even happy with this this uh, potential agreement that's been put forth and then couple that in with you know situations like what's happened with rust which we're going to touch on again in just a little bit i don't know what the what the temperature in the room is for for most of the members my opinion or at least the, my my theory right now is that they may begrudgingly accept this one and you know kick the can down the road for a couple of years and then come back and renegotiate. But it sounds to me like they didn't really get everything they were wanting. But uh, is it one of these situations where it's better just to work right now and then, you know, we'll try to organize a better, you know, contract the next go around? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I really don't know at this point. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I know, like, like I said, there's a lot of grumblings. Not everyone is happy. A lot of people felt like it should have gone further. However, there are improvements. There are objective improvements that I think are good. Even if it takes a few years to get even better, I think this is. A, I hope this is a step in the right direction. I do find it humorous, though, that 
most major media coverage of this story was only when the strike was actually like really looming. And then the second it was, I mean, it was like dropped off the, you know, the edge of a cliff as soon as everything kind of resolved temporarily. So that's that's funny to me. But hey, we cover it here because we dive deep here on Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio and Dash Radio Network. I do have a small update, if you even want to call it that, Dana, on the tragic rush shooting incident too. the investigation into how cinematographer Helena Hudgens was killed and how director Joel Souza was wounded during production of this Western in New Mexico is still ongoing. Uh, Authorities have said that a lot of work still needs to be done before getting to a point where charges could even be considered. In addition to that, and this is, this is really what I want to discuss with you before we get into the other topics. The attorney for Hannah Gutierrez Reed, the onset armorer for Rust, said on Good Morning America with Michael Strahan the other day that they're worried that someone intended to sabotage the set. Now, just bear with me here for one sec, Dana, because, you know, though there, there were some who decided to speculate about sabotage the second this thing hit the fucking press, in all of, the, all of these weeks, uh, reading, watching, listening, with the exception, again, of a few, most outlets and platforms were hesitant to even suggest the idea of sabotage until very recently. Now, I want to add another thing which is when when pressed on this, when Michael Strahan said, you know, this is a very serious allegation, and then asked, what evidence do you have? The lawyer responded, well, the biggest piece of evidence that they have is the box that was labeled dummy rounds that allegedly everyone knew Miss Reed was pulling from throughout the whole shoot had live rounds in it somewhere. And now Miss Reed, you know, Hannah Gutierrez Reed does not denies this ever, ever allowing live rounds on set. This is a question we had last week, which was like, how does a live round even get on set? To be clear, though, the the lawyer specifically stated they had no evidence that anyone intended for this tragic accident that did happen to happen. This is a delicate topic, Dana. However, you know, there's they they're talking about they being Hannah Gutierrez Reed and their lawyer saying that someone potentially put a live round in the box with bad intent. They're not saying it was they're not saying it was murder and the intention of murder, but it's, they're making the suggestion, given the backdrop of the Yahtzee member situation that was going on, and, and there's that there's there's a suggestion that you know there was there was foul play. Well, let me ask you this now, because I did uh, I did watch that interview that Michael Strahan had with with Mrs. Reed's Miss Reed's lawyers. Now, first of all, is that possible? Yes, likely, probably not. Is the way I'm I'm looking at it. It seems to me like the lawyers are kind of framing this under. The, the the notion that, you know, just finding a live round on the set is going to be enough to, you know, cripple the production. I'm going to call bullshit on that because you and I know there's been reports of people on the set shooting at tin cans, doing target practice, things like that. So there was clearly at least a handful of individuals who already knew that there were live rounds, maybe not being used during the production, but on the set, which again, are not supposed to be there. Dana, I'm sorry to interrupt you quickly, but you saw the interview and in that interview, the lawyers told us that Miss Gutierrez Reed reportedly reportedly saw no evidence of crew member using crew members using prop guns for target practice during downtime. And it was reported by multiple outlets. But, you know, this is coming directly from her lawyer whose job it is to, you know, serve her client to the best of his abilities. You know, he's laying down one of what is probably uh, 30 different possible scenarios, you know, and I understand why he's doing that. That's his job to do that. But, you know, and so but I think what, I, what, what I'm reading from it is that he was just trying to get somebody in trouble for there being a live round on the set. I don't know. 
I don't know. That's a tough stretch. And, you know, that's, but then again, Brandon, as you well aware, stranger things have been known to happen, not just on Hollywood sets, but in life in general, there's always a lot of really puzzling things that, that go on. But I'm, I'm taking that as just a, I think, I don't know for a fact, obviously, but I'm looking at it as just a very wild and, and almost salacious allegation uh, as a way to sort of defer responsibility from from the armorer onto somebody else. Because like we talked about last week, there are a few individuals that are in charge of this this entire production and they're going to be called to task on this one. So, you know, I get it. He's a lawyer. That's his job. Deflect blame away from his client. I get it. And, I, and it very well may be the case. But I would tell everyone listening, take that with the biggest grain of salt. That To me, that just sounds very, very like, well, it could have been this. And it could have been, you know, could have been, you know, the, the man from Mars who, who planted a bullet. You know, like it's just, I don't know. Uh, I'm very, very weary about taking any of that as 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 probability. I'm not taking any of that for face value yet, Dana. However, given the backdrop of the, again, the Yahtzee member situation, I have to admit, when this first dropped, there was a tiny little hint of the idea in the back of my mind that this, like, there's no way this could be an accident. I mean, it, it I dismissed that shit as quickly as it entered, but we're, we are a couple of weeks in now. I agree with you that the it feels like the lawyer is just trying to, to defend their client. However, if there's even a chance that could be true, it should be considered, especially given that maybe someone didn't want to kill someone, but maybe someone wanted to have a safety incident on set. I don't think that's totally unreasonable. Human beings are not always the best. No. No, no, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct about that. So, you know, and 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 we'll keep it. We'll keep you updated uh, as the story develops. You know, it's again, Brandon and I. We we don't want you. To, we don't want you to think that we've lost sight of the fact of the matter is that you know there's still a, an incredible tragedy that's happened here, and you know we, along with most people in the industry here, uh, are hopeful that this does produce. Uh, some more sweeping changes and tighter regulations. And I, I'm just going to segue into something. Dwayne The Rock Johnson has uh, made a public statement that his production company uh, will no longer use functioning real weapons on the set of any of his films. Uh, you know, the, the argument can be made that with the way technology is now, you know, you can always do it in post, if you will. I don't know how I feel about that. I think that we've been doing a, a good job for the past hundred years on, on keeping things safe with, with guns on the, uh, on the set. I just think tighter regulations need to be in place. What are your thoughts on that? You know, I, I know the rock is not the only individual whose production company also decided they're not, they're no longer going to use repurposed weapons or real weaponry on sets. That being said, I mean, I make, I make ads for businesses all the time. Getting, getting a little flash animation is as cheap as it's ever been. I really, like, we're just at the point that it's, there's no difference in real life. So if we're in nearly 2022 now, Dana, and there's still an incident on a film set where someone dies, what's the pro like if, if, if it looks photorealistic, it looks I identical to real life. Why wouldn't you want the safer and frankly, more efficient option. You don't need an onset yeah. armor at that point, theoretically, or you, you need a lot less of that accountability line, that that um, custody line. You don't need that anymore. You just, we're going to do it in post. This is a 3D printed plastic gun that everyone, it's not real, despite how good it looks. It will never fire or even make a sound, theoretically. 
and just go into Adobe After Effects, add a couple of shots. Easy for me to say, because I, I have experience with Adobe, right? And I know people who do that stuff. Everyone in the general public should know how cheap it is now to just pr produce this these little things. We're not talking about the Avengers. We're talking about a bang. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I get it. I get it. So, you know, it, it'll, uh, again, it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on things. That's for sure. All right, Brandon, well, I appreciate you keeping us up to date on what's going on. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come right back. Uh, this is... Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio Network. Be sure to follow this station on Instagram at Fun for Life Radio. Be sure to follow Dash on Instagram at Dash Radio. You can follow me on Instagram at Real Dana Buckler. You can follow me at Brandon underscore Lou here, L-O-U-H-I-E-R. This is Hollywood Unfiltered, and we will be right back. You're listening to Fun for Life Radio on Dash where the dress code is always clothing optional. Okay, you're listening to Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio. Brandon, box office. We got to talk about the box office because it's going to play heavy into our main topic today. And that is, do you recall what my prediction was for the Eternals? For the first time, I, uh, I was not correct. I said 50, 60, 50, between 50 and 60 million. The film came in at $71 million, which I mean, don't pop those bottles of champagne just yet, because uh, this was a movie that was being touted, in my opinion, something to be the closest thing to an event Avengers MCU movie since the Avengers movie came out. I think those numbers are a little bit disappointed. And uh, I'm going to uh, we'll we'll break those down a little bit more when we get into our, our review of the film. Right off the bat, Brandon, I'll say it's 71 million. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a pretty good opening weekend. Uh, who was touting Eternals as the new Avengers? I mean, 71 million. It's pretty decent. I know internationally it, it did pretty well too. Well, can I just say something by comparison? Uh, and these aren't hard numbers, but the Avengers, Infinity War, Endgame movies both debuted with more than 200 million domestically. So just to put things in perspective, this is less than 50% of a film that has an ensemble cast. Uh, so, you know, I, you know, there are a lot of headlines going around right now that say, is it time for the MCU to rethink their strategy? I don't feel like this movie was anywhere near the same level as Infinity War Endgame. And I also don't feel like it was marketed that way. And I, okay. I, I feel like Shang-Chi did 75 or 80 million opening weekend. Like this is coming in just behind that. And I think those two, they're, they're similar. They're new kind of things in the MCU. I don't think the Eternals is meant to be like the Avengers yet. Well, I have those numbers in front of me. Since since you brought up Shang-Chi and The Legend of the Ten Rings, uh, this year, uh, all the Marvel movies that have been released, and I'm going to count Venom because even though it's it's through Sony, it's technically a Marvel product. You have Black Widow debuted with $80 million, and that was a film that was released day and date, albeit with a $30 price tag on Disney+. Plus. Uh, Shang-Chi, as you mentioned, did $75.3 million. And then Venom, Let There Be Carnage, opened, as you know, we talked about it a few weeks ago, to a whopping $90 million, which I think is incredibly impressive for, for that film. The Eternals, it, it had some struggles going into it. It had some bad PR going into the release of this film. Uh, the movie currently sits at a 47% on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, for those who aren't exactly sure how Rotten Tomatoes works, it is an aggregator 
where it, it assembles hundreds of reviews from critics and it deems the review either a negative review or a positive review and the percentage is put out there and uh, it's considered rotten if it's below 60%. So this film is sitting at 47%. So it had, uh, I, again, bad PR going into the release this weekend. So, so far it's the it's debuted at the lowest number of any Marvel film this year. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, it beat Thor: The Dark World by. Let's, well, actually, it's funny. Uh, when I looked this morning, it was only at it was at forty eight percent. We lost a percent this afternoon. Congratulations to the Eternals by shredding Thor: The Dark World by a cheeky nineteen point margin. Some of the general public were, were were trashing it too, like weeks before it even came out, like talking shit without even having seen the movie. I just feel like, you know, hashtag snap the low IQ on that. But I know anyways, like, fortunately, though, Dana, as happens often, like this happened with Venom, Let There Be Carnage too. the critics opinions didn't mean a Jack Diddley to anyone when it came to the audience score or the box office. Audience score sitting at about 80 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is, again, much better than it's it's almost double what it is as far as the critic scores goes we'll segue where we'll we'll put a pin on the uh the the eternal discussion because i do want to talk about uh the rest of the box office because any normal movie 70 million dollar opening that's an amazing like that's that's amazing you know marvel has such set such a standard with their films that you know when it doesn't break a hundred million people start asking questions but that being said People went to the movies this weekend. Most people saw The Eternals. Coming in at second place was Dune. Dune has legs. We've talked about this. This is week three, and the film brought in 7.6 million, pulling its domestic take to 83 million. It's not great, but it. I feel like this is a movie that has a day and date release on HBO Max, at least until... You know, it's a 30-day window on HBO Max. I think this movie stays in theaters longer than people expect it to. I think if it continues to pull in between 6 to $10 million a weekend, it's going to stay in theaters. And again, my view on that film has, has been nothing but positive. Like, I've really, I think so often, you and you know this, that so many movies are, quote, disposable these days. You see it, it's done. Yeah, you know, that was cool, whatever. And then maybe it'll be on Netflix two years down the road. Like, I'll watch that again, where I think Dune has the strength to get into the pop culture lexicon. I think it has the strength to be a movie that can be referenced for for years out and people are going to know that film. Let's just wait and see how the sequel is before we say that, Dana. The the first movie was good. I enjoyed it. I don't know that I personally would go so far as to say it's going to become a permanent fixture in the lexicon of our culture. I personally find so much irony in the parallels between Dune and the Eternals when it comes to critics that I almost feel like I almost have a bad taste in my mouth from it despite enjoying the movie and still and still would see it again. No Time to Die popped back into the uh, top three. It came in at third place with 6.2 million. Here's another film that's got some legs. For weeks right. now, this honestly. Is, yeah, this is impressive. This is interesting, though, because this movie had a short 45-day window, and then it is going to hit video on demand. So that should be interesting. Sony's Venom, Let There Be Carnage, took fourth place with 4.5 million bringing this film to 197 million domestically that's a hit that i don't care if we're in a that pandemic world or not that is a hit movie and and that it's it came in at fourth place and it's also this as of right now it's the second highest grossing film domestically all year the yeah, only thing no, that beat it, it is shang chi with 223 mil yeah no but i'm telling you right now uh venom i think is on pace to to outdo that 
which is again very interesting. That is really interesting. Very interesting. Okay, so we've danced around it long enough, if you will. Uh, last week, you did give me my first challenge. My first challenge, of course, was to do something that I don't normally do, to do something that I pride myself on not normally doing. And that's not go to the theater. I've been to the theater a handful of times since, you know, things have have reopened. But I tend to go to the movie theater to see movies that I want to see. But but since you and I are in this together on this journey that is Hollywood Unfiltered, I've given you challenges and you have lived up to them. So you challenged me to go see Marvel's The Eternals in the theater, something that I did not want to do. And I'm happy to report that I did accept the challenge and I did go see The Eternals in the movie theater. But I will tell you this. I didn't want to. I cannot recall a time that I was more unexcited to go to the movies, which is my happy place, which is the place where I find solace, is the place where I, you know, I it just for a couple hours, I can just escape from the world's problems. And boy, we have a lot of shit going on in our lives these days. And I remember waking up. We're actually the day that we're recording this. I actually saw it today. I remember waking up and just there was this sense of foreboding. You're like, oh, no, I have to go to the movies today. So I just want to point point out that I did go to the theater here in town, here where I am right now. We've got a 16 screen Regal Cinema, which was built in the early 90s. And just a year ago or a year and a half ago, they opened one of these new like niche movie theaters that have, you know, the big giant reclining seats and just the the way they do the concession stands and they have full bar and it's just it's it's literally called epic epic theater sounds epic and 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 the experience is epic however their show times were a little askew with me being able to meet the deadline for you and i to record this show meaning that i needed something that was going to be at 10 30 in the morning 11 o'clock tops and the epic theaters were 12 30 and one o'clock and i knew this was a two and a half hour movie that was probably going to have 30 minutes of trailers so i knew i didn't have the ability i didn't have that opportunity to go enjoy it instead i went to a movie theater that could be best described as spirit airlines frontier (laughs) airlines any of these no frills budget carriers. I mean, and I knew something was amiss when I pulled into this theater because this is opening weekend for a Marvel film and there were seven cars and I'm sure four of them were employees of that movie theater. And I walked up and there was signs, handwritten signs on the doors that said, please buy your tickets at the concession stand. This beautiful big box office empty. There's not a soul there. Now I got the, my ticket on my phone because I live in 2021. You know, I walked in and there wasn't a soul in there. There was just a couple employees. I do. I want the record to show nobody even asked me if I had a ticket. All right. When I bought a popcorn and a soda, I literally said to the guy, uh, does anyone need to scan my ticket before I just go walk into this theater? He goes, yeah, I guess I can do it for you. I'm like, what is going on? I walked in and I, you know, it's a reserved seating. I picked a seat. The, the seats are supposed to slightly recline, recline about six inches. Mine was stuck. 
Okay, I looked around the room and the speaker system, the surround sound, a couple of the speakers were hanging upside down. I said, you know, this was not the most optimal place for me to see a movie. I ended up moving my seat three times before I found one that was comfortable. And by the time the trailer started, there were exactly four people in this screening of The Eternals. And I just want to say one more thing. 30 minutes of trailers and commercials in a two and a half hour long movie. Are you kidding me? Let's just talk about the trailers I saw real quick. Morbius, uh, Clifford the Big Red Dog. Uh, I mean... I'm not going to lie. I shed shed a little bit of a tear during the Clifford the Big Red Dog trailer. Yeah. Yeah, I'm all over that. Not since Paddington have I been excited to see a movie like that. So so that being said, I I did watch the movie. I did see the Eternals. Um, I did stay for the end credit sequence. So I, I, I have that one under my belt. I can tell you that this is, uh, let's see, Iron Man, uh, Winter Soldier, Avengers, Infinity War, Endgame. This would be the sixth Marvel film that I've actually seen in the theater. I see. So, I see. Well, so may I quickly? Go ahead, please. <clears throat> please. Yes. I see. I see, Dana. Well, let me just remind everyone why I like wanted to, to do this in the first place. You already have relatively negative feelings about all Marvel movies, it seems. You openly admit just now there's several gaps in the timeline, which is fine. I was skeptical you actually looked much in to the movie itself in regard to the like the lore and how it relates to other properties. Again, making sense given you don't really give a shit. That's fine. But we're talking 26 films, several TV series now that all connect with each other and decades upon decades of comics. So I'm not going to be I'm not hating. I'm just suggesting that, you know, maybe you, you know, like there was no um, like for me, like with Dune last week. That's why I kind of want to do this, too, is a similar is not quite the same, but a similar enough cold experience going into it. You knew Eternals was coming out, but maybe not all the context. And so that's why I it. thought because I, I, I what I knew before watching was this film was so supposed to be was meant to be a sort of expansion on the cosmic history of the mcu i potentially thought that might give you a nice way into like okay this is a new like you could almost look at it like the first movie in the whole thing i hoped you would go in with as few preconceived notions or negative feelings as possible i mean you kind of, i don't know did you do that it seems like you i mean you said you were dreading going in but i genuinely this is this is the god's honest truth okay i went in with zero expectations No high, no low. I said, you know what? I'm going to give this a fair shake. My question became, my my challenge to myself was, as somebody who is not well-versed in the Marvel lore, I wouldn't even call myself a casual Marvel fan. I would say that I've seen... 80% of the Marvel films, and I have found enjoyment in in a lot of them. Like, I get why they're popular. I understand that. So, Mike, the question I had for myself was, or excuse me, the challenge that I had for myself was, could I go into this particular story cold, knowing that these are characters that have not been in any of the other MCU films, as far as I know, So I felt like I was, like you said, I was getting a a fresh start on this. Uh, Would I be able to follow along and the references that they're going to make to the other MCU movies, was I going to pick up on them? Or was I going to feel completely lost? And um, 
you know, I can say, you know, I, I pretty much understood what was going on throughout the duration of the movie. And I did pick up on a couple references, you know, when Kit Harrington says, you know, why didn't you stop Thanos? I'm like, Thanos. Yeah, that's, that's the guy snapped his fingers. Yeah. So why, why didn't you stop him? You know, that, that, like those little Fair things. Question. Like I Fair question. So, yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, no, I watched it. Should we just get into our, our, our actual thoughts of the movie? You know, I think. Because I, I have more questions than I think I, than I do, uh actual you know thoughts on the movie i left i left just very puzzled when it was all over with yeah i'd say let's get right into it that being said why don't you share with everyone your take on the eternals and we can we can go from there okay so here's my honest take on on the eternals all right and i'm trying to be as as positive about this as i can be okay I walked out of this theater saying to myself who is this movie for this is what i don't understand because I've seen uh, I've seen Captain America: Civil War, and that movie that movie kicks like it really does. Like even I'll admit that's a great movie. Mm. That's really a lot of fun. This movie I don't know if this is geared to someone like in my age range. I'm in my 40s, or is this geared to the 12 to you know 16 year olds that are the core base of the MCU fandom? Because I my fear is. That if this film is geared towards that core base, they're going to be bored to tears with this film. There are some high concept, high level things going on in this film. Almost too much, I think, for what the Marvel brand is. Now, that being said, I thought the movie moved along at an interesting pace, but did stall several times where I was just kind of checking my watch. Like, all right, how much more time do I have in this? And then my, my biggest complaint about the film is that you had an ensemble cast that you never really got to spend a lot of time with one-on-one. You didn't get to know these characters. You didn't get to know, you didn't get to latch on to one. I understand, like, I'm going to use The Breakfast Club as an example, okay? The movie The Breakfast Club, John Hughes classic, everyone that's in high school is represented in The Breakfast Club. So you identify with one character in that movie, but you really get to know those characters quickly. I couldn't identify with anyone in The Eternals because I didn't know shit about any of them. And the the story is literally encompassing 7,000 years. So I will officially say that I don't think this is a bad movie. I think this is a confusing movie. I think it's a little bloated. And I think that this would have been better served, honestly, as one of those six or eight episode, you know, Disney Plus series, because I think there's too much they're trying to cram in in two and a half hours. So that's my initial take on the film. I agree with you on most of this, the high concepts being a little bit much or too many of them, let's say having having an elevated concept that's not typical of a superhero movie. It's interesting because if you a lot of the same critics who liked in the past like to say all Marvel movies, superhero movies are the same, seem to be the same ones who are saying, well, this is different. It's bad. Again, the high concepts being a little bit much. I think, again, there's too, too, too many metaphors trying to be made. The ensemble cast was stellar. This is where I'm saying there's some parallels between Dune. There was, there's a stellar cast in this movie, but I do agree that I wish we got just a little bit more inside the characters' heads. I wish we got to know them a little better so the actual stakes of what happens to them feels uh, heavier. And it also, again, like you said, you can relate to the characters more. I feel all of the critics who gave this film a bad score, some of it was just cringe. I mean, some of it was just pre-decided 
nonsense that was like really come like did you even watch it come on again a lot of the stuff with the the lack of focus around the story seemingly and some of the you know the lack of character development i do agree however if we look back dana marvel look back at avengers marvel had seven had several years several more films that led up to the first avengers in 2012 and since that movie had like 10 more years of character development this felt more like the justice league a bunch of characters getting brief backgrounds and then you're meant to just okay agree with this this is what's happening and just move along like for the story i'm not all the way opposed to that i do get it why people are upset with like in 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 the movie you're sort of just meant to accept certain facts right off the beginning whether or not they're true is a whole other thing but you just are sort of given this criteria that you're meant to believe and i think i wish chloe zhao would have just spent a little more time in the beginning giving us a little more depth to the characters so we could get in so so we could get into their heads some people had a hard time with that and i agree i, I like i said i do agree with some of the critics but as a as a fan of massive productions in general and as a fan of marvel the move i thought the movie was really fun and enjoyable i thought the impl- given again being someone who's relatively versed in the whole marvel cinematic universe the implications in this movie throughout the rest of the mcu are pretty serious and cool and i'm excited to see i'm very interested to see some of the eternals characters crossing over into other properties including the next avengers film and beyond i fucking love the Celestials portrayal. Ever since we got a brief little cameo of Isan the Searcher wiping out an entire planet with the Power Stone in the Guardians of the Galaxy film, I've genuinely been looking forward to seeing more of these sort of like the six-eyed Celestial versions. A little nerdgasm moment here, just for the sake of clarity. Ego the Living Planet from the second Guardians movie is technically a Celestial, but given this new context, it's, he's not quite the same. I just want to throw that out there. But Arishim the Judge was just epic, like an epic fuck. I want to see more Arisham. This again, like just the scale of the whole thing. I think the visuals were really no one. No one was complaining about how sex, how sexy this movie is as far as the the special effects and and everything about it. It just looks great. Um, I am. You, oh, you, you have grievances. I do. What are I your do. grievances? I think the deviant uh, if and, and we're going to keep this spoiler free, of course, you know, this movie just came out a couple days ago after watching a movie like Dune, which I and I am very pro practical i have a harsh critic's eye for cgi and again i look back to captain america civil war that entire airport you know third act scene is 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 done phenomenal but that being said the villains if you will in this movie which is in the trailer so this is not a, a spoiler that the deviants okay uh, at least in the first hour hour and a half that they were on screen they looked like utter garbage to me there was not a damn thing that looked realistic about them. And so that took me out of the movie. And I, I say this because Marvel can and has done better with CGI than they have in this film. Now, it's clear to me that they did way more on like real world location shooting here. Mm-hmm. There was way more. You know, I used to joke that, you know, I show you a picture of the the production of, you know, uh, Dr. Zhivago, you know, where he had literally 3000 extras, you know, over, over these fields. And, you know, then you, you juxtapose that with a picture from the, the set of Avengers Age of Ultron. It's just a bunch of big green screens. But I will say that this movie kind of met in the middle because it was clear. And I did some I did some backgrounds on this. And, you know, they filmed in the Canary Islands and a lot of different on location places. And that felt real and tactile. But the first time the deviant appears at the opening, the you know, the cold open of this movie, that looks like garbage. 
They can do better. You know what? Do better. That's my so that is my complaint on the on the CGI. Admittedly, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I I kind of pushed that bit out of my mind. I the, the deviants, I'm disappointed by. I agree with the CGI. They just looked like a big mishmash of like palm fronds and like exposed muscle. I think I I, I agree with you. It could have been done better, but these movies have unlimited. Yeah, the budget. pockets don't get deeper I mean, than Marvel and Disney. Let's yeah, be real. They, they yeah, don't. They, they really don't. They they, they don't. They don't. So I just, I just, to me, that I, you know, I look back at uh, Jurassic Park, which came out in 1993, some 28 years ago, and they used a mix of practical and CGI. And a lot of those practical dinosaurs looked amazing. Build something practical. Do, just do it. Make the deviants like you've got the money to do it. It's probably cost you less. Get some puppeteering puppeteering in there. When you look at 1986's Aliens, the James Cameron directed film, and they have that life-size queen alien that's puppeteered by like 10 people, that movie still holds up for that reason. Why can't they do that? I promise you it costs less to build the thing practical than to, to CGI the thing. Just a thought. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to know, I you know I wasn't in ILM when they were building and you know, putting together these digital renderings of the deviants. I I am not that I'm personally not that adept at Adobe to be able to like whip up a quick deviant. So I I'm hesitant to be like, yeah, do this this and this and it would have been better. But let me ask you, would you do you think if there was just even like a slight textural difference that made them look more like realistic dinosaurs, which would fit the context? I I at first was like, this is kind of cool. They look like dinosaurs. Maybe this is sort of like another historical reference, although it's a little bit different. And especially in the comics, it was different. But if you weren't taken out by the the lack of, in your opinion, CGI quality, would you would that have changed a lot for the movie for you? Or are you kind of thrown off? Not, not let alone being in, in the, you know, the value city version of a movie theater. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that if the CGI had been effective, I probably would have been you know, more on board with that. But as I'm going to tell you something right now, the hardest thing to do in CGI, to me, the hardest thing to do is gravity, is a sense of gravity, is a sense of weight to CGI characters. That is very, very difficult to do. Denis Villeneuve pulled it off with Dune. He did. Everything felt very real. We're now talking about and working with hypotheticals. You know, the reality is that it didn't look good and it very much took me out of the movie. But, uh, you know, I can get past that because there are some movies that have bad CGI that I still fundamentally think are a great time. I always look at 1999's Deep Blue Sea with Sam when Samuel Jackson, spoiler alert, gets gets meets his demise from a shark. It looks I, it's awful. so funny. It's the best but, though. But but I love that movie. I love that movie. So I can ultimately get past bad CGI. I can get past bad effects. You know, there are characters in this movie, and I'm gonna keep this incredibly spoiler free who are introduced, they're in the first 20, 30 minutes, and then they're they're not in the film anymore. And I'm just, well, who were they? Am I supposed to feel emotional here? They're really emotional, but am I supposed to feel emotional? I just couldn't connect with anyone on the screen. I, I, I really just couldn't connect with anyone. So I, I will put the CGI to the side and say, the biggest problem I have with the film is not connecting to any of the characters. No, yeah, Dana, I do agree with you there. Now, I wanted to ask you quickly, this is something a little bit off topic, but still in regard to the movie. I just read the other day that this film is actually being banned in several countries. And this film is also being celebrated as diverse a film, a superhero movie as Marvel has ever put out. What is your take on on this celebration of diversity in the movie? Do you feel like it's just a marketing ploy or do you feel uh, like it's a, something serious? I commend Disney because 
you know, when a lot of these Gulf states, if you will, in the Middle East, where being gay is not only illegal, mm. it's it's punishable by death. Have they sent notes, edit notes to Disney and Marvel and said, if you want to release this movie here, you're going to cut this, 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 this. Any reference to the, the 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 gay couple that is in the film that has to go. And Disney said, we're not doing it. We are not doing it. So I applaud them for what they're doing. You know, I think, I mean, I think to, to, to circle back to what you said. Yeah. I mean, I, I would really appreciate it that, that no one's going to question the diversity in this film. It's, it's, and it's really good. That's really good. And that's, I hope we get to a point where we don't, we no longer have to even acknowledge mm. that there is diversity in the film. Diversity is just there. And that's the world we live in. And I feel like we're heading in that direction. So I'm hopeful that, you know, Five years down the road, we never have to have a conversation like this again because it's just the way the world is. And that's a good thing. That being said, I do respect individual cultures around the world and individual like the, you know, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, uh, whatever. Like they they have the right to, to determine their own laws. At the same time, I'm a little bit disgusted because I'm like, we're in 2022 and you guys are acting like goddamn medieval animals um, and killing people for like nothing. You know, it's just... <sighs> It's again, you know, we're, we don't want to get too political on this show. It's not about politics. It's just about like basic human being a basic, decent human being. Now, I, it was interesting talking about diversity because I saw some of the critics referring to this movie as just another Disney checkbox of diversity. I didn't feel that way at all in the movie. I, I, I personally wasn't even focused on the diversity of the movie, even though a lot of other people were. It didn't feel at all watching the film with the characters, despite not knowing that much about them. Like they were just like Kamal Nanjiani was like the funniest part of that movie, period. Well, I will say one thing, just to touch on what you said uh, about, you know, when I watched the movie, uh, like I didn't when I was watching it in real time, I wasn't saying to myself, wow, this is a really diverse cast. You know, the, the, the diversity has been rep represented because I was just watching the movie. It wasn't until I got home and I started going through some reviews and everything. And I was like, yeah, yeah, because that should just be normal to me. That should the diversity should it, it should just be there. It just you shouldn't have to. I don't feel like you should have to applaud it because it should be that way. And I hope we get there. I hope we get there. I really do. I agree. I agree. I really do. I do too. And I, I genuinely, I'm happy that we're in a time now that that most little kids, regardless of their whatever, can look up at a superhero movie and see themselves in one film or another. I think that's amazing. You know, and I agree with you, Brandon. I and I, I, I think that's exactly because l l lest we forget, who are these movies made for? All right, I'm 43 years old. If Iron Man had come out when I was 10 years old and I got to experience the MCU from the age of 10 through the age of, I guess, 23 at this point. Oh my God. I can't even imagine what that would have been like for me. Like I totally get that. And that's who these movies are for. And, and that, that circles back to what I was saying about, that's why I'm not sure where the eternal stands in this whole thing, because I don't think that uh, that age range, not that they're not going to get it. I just don't think they're going to like it, if I'm being completely honest. But I've been wrong before. So, well, this brings up one last question I have for you, Dana, which is after having seen the Eternals, does this does this movie in any way make you want to go back and explore past properties now or no? No. No, it doesn't. That's just be, that's just an honest answer. I am a casual Marvel viewer, which means that I, I mentioned the five that I saw in the theater. I've seen most of them. 
throughout the the past 13 years. I've seen most of them one way or the other. Most of them have been at home and they, you know, one pops up on Amazon Prime or something. I'll I'll watch the movie. I, I'm not I'm not a hater. I'm just not excited about them. And I would say that if no if someone has never seen a Marvel film and Eternals was their introduction to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I don't think they'd want to watch the other ones either. And that's just an honest my honest opinion. No, that's fair enough. That's all That's all we wanted from this experiment yeah. was to see if you would get more into Marvel because of this. Mission failed. We'll get him next time. But for <laughs> now, you know, it is what it is. No, no. But, but, but you like we've talked about this, though. Like we've talked about why the characters were not interesting or they may have been interesting, but I didn't get to know any of them. The CGI was shoddy. The movie was probably 20 minutes longer than it needed to be. And um, without getting in too much into it, the end credit scenes went whew, Right yeah. over my head, right over my head, which we will talk about off uh, off air when we when we get off air. So but overall, my final review of the film is it's not a bad movie. Uh, it's clearly well done in many regards. It does have a very, very strong cast in it, a very stellar cast. I just think that it's it's too much story trying to be contained in two and a half hours. And this thing needed a lot more breathing room. And again, this would have been better served as a six to eight episode series on Disney+. Plus. So I will give this a recommend if you're a Marvel fan, because not that you need my recommendation, you're probably already seen it. If you've never watched a Marvel movie before, I would challenge you not, or, or I would suggest you don't start with this film. Start from the beginning. That first Iron Man is really, really good. So that's my take. I concur, Doctor. I concur. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio, part of the Dash Radio family. You are listening to Fun for Life Radio because fun has always been the name of the game. All right, welcome back. This is Hollywood Unfiltered on Fun for Life Radio. My name is Dana. I'm joined by Brandon. And Brandon, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up for this week's episode. Again, I appreciate the uh, the challenge, and I'm a man of my word, so I, I I I did it. And I don't think I would have gone and seen a Marvel film under any other circumstances. But that's how much you know this show means to 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 me, and how much you know you being a co-host on this show means. I'm going to take up these challenges. It's basically fear factor for me. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. So you have my respects, Dark. Okay, so you can follow me on Instagram at Real Dana Buckler. Follow me, Brandon underscore Lou here, L O U H I E R. You can follow the station, Fun for Life Radio, on Instagram at Fun for Life Radio. So, Brandon, all right, buddy, we'll uh, we'll pick this up same time, same place next week. Okay. See you next week, bud. All right. 